Hi, welcome to the BA Brew. I'm Jonathan. I'm Debbie. And I'm Pete. Today we're going to talk about data and, and why why we, we love or, or why we, we don't love data. Um, so it's going to be an interesting one. And I thought we'd start with a question for you, Pete. Why does data draw you in? What, what's the fascination? Oh, that's a very good question. Where, where does one start? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something quite um, satisfying about data. It, it's something that's that you can kind of really, um, you can define very clearly. You can get to the bottom of things. Um, data, I, I mean, I, a lot of my career has been in information systems development. And data is the foundation of any kind of information system. Um, you know, without data, systems, solutions, software, call it what you will, wouldn't actually be able to function. Um, and you can find it in, in virtually everything that happens in the world nowadays. There's data somewhere at the heart of it. Hmm. So De Debbie, what about yourself? What is it that's fascinating you about this particular subject? I think... I think it's logical. Mm -hmm. I think you can get insights from it. Um, I think you can look at it from lots of different angles so that you can understand things better. I mean, I can just while away a lot of hours mm. um, playing about with data because I am trying out different, you know, percentages, different ways of looking at something. It's just got so much to offer. And it's fascinating because it tells us about it tells us about the world, doesn't it? About what's going on and about what people think and how they live. And it's just fascinating. And like Pete, I've worked in information systems a long time, but I like data in all sorts of different aspects. So taking information, you know, really to its sort of broadest extent. But it just tells us so much. And there are so many different ways to look at it. That's why I think I like it. Could we, just for the audience, um, and our, either of you, define the difference between data and information? Um, <laughs> who, who would be comfortable with that one? I'm quite happy to pick that one up. Uh, okay. it's, it's a common thing that comes up, and, and then maybe Debbie can correct me afterwards, but it is a common thing that comes up, isn't it? What's the difference between data and information? And, um, uh, I mean, on one of our data courses, one of our many data courses, um, we, we have exactly this conundrum and, and we present a number and it's something like two, 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 two. Mm -hmm. And we say, what is this? Uh, it's a big number. It's 22,222,000, whatever. Um, but it doesn't have any meaning in that sense. You mm -hmm. know, it's important as long as you put the, some context around it. And then when we reveal the answer, well, what it is, is, you know, the 20 second of um well, god i've lost it now <laughs> sorry no the 22nd of the 2nd 2022 at 10 22 p.m so, so in other words it's a date and time stamp effectively well it could help me as well don't 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 try and ring it by the way just in case but um but that context makes it information it's now in, in useful information it informs someone possibly to make a decision or, or to, to do something with that information. Uh -huh. That's my take anyway. No, I, I agree with you, Peter. I always think of data being raw digits, mm -hmm. put context and you get information. Mm -hmm. And I also think if you then have 
other data in context that you can use to compare with that, then you have insights. So, you know, if somebody says, mm-hmm. I don't know, 1.2 mm-hmm. is a digit, yeah, a figure, and then you have a context around that, that maybe it's a financial ratio for, I don't know, liquidity or something like that. And then you get what last year's liquidity was or what a competitor's liquidity is, then you have insight. So that's how I always like to think of it. Um, I'm just going to throw a different question out there then, just in case it's coming up in people's heads. What's metadata then? Because that's the term (laughs) that that people hear. What's metadata? How long have you got? (laughs) (laughs) We've only got... These are going to be quite quick sessions, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, again, I'm happy to pick that up, and if Debbie wants to take that one. <laughs> well, I, I think quite simply, um, the, the word meta is used in lots of different contexts, and, and it's something that defines itself in, in a sense. So metadata is data that defines data. Mm. Um, there are lots of different types of metadata, I have to say, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I've been running data literacy courses where a particular client of ours uses it in a very different context to the way that we teach it on some of our data analysis courses. Hmm. Uh, so, so you get things like content metadata. And a classic example of that would be if you consider, say, in the modern uh, world, uh, a movie as a, as a piece of data, mm-hmm. then metadata about that movie could be things like, you know, the date, the, the, the date it was published, you know, the, the, um, the director, uh, the, the cast, the genre, all of those things. It's, it's data that describes that movie as a piece of data. Mm. But I think in terms of business systems and information systems, we often talk about it as pieces of data that define the data items that are necessary to support the business. You know, And, and we often talk about information as part of the Poppet model, quick plug there for the Poppet model. Um, information is at the heart of business systems. So, you know, someone has to define what what exactly that information should be and, and how, you know, how is it structured? Mm. You know, how big is a, a, a custom number? Does it have a particular format? Does it have any valid, validity in terms of mm. um, ranges? You know, it must be within certain ranges to be valid. All of those things that define that are the metadata. So mm. it wasn't a, a particularly quick answer, but. It's a, a good answer, though. So I'm, I'm going to share an alternative perspective then. And, and this is the point at which you might be ganging up on me. I don't know. So I like data in terms of I like what it can do and I like the insight it can provide. I can't get excited about it. I can't kind of I can't say, yes, I, I'd like to get an Excel spreadsheet out and compare different ratios and possibilities, probabilities. And it's just I see it as a means to an end. And the i don't know i'm I'm much more excited about a process view or trying to understand um how do the different dimensions of pop it fit together in the overall business system um and what outcomes we're achieving and, and some of the outcomes you can't as easily measure using data how does the product or the service make someone feel and you could try and measure it absolutely but i think i think it's you know it's difficult to really put a number on yeah I'm, I'm this angry on a scale of one to ten I'm at ten you can put a number on it but it doesn't kind of really capture that feeling for me it's kind of I don't know it's it's, it's a means to an end for me 
and I just can't get excited about about data. So I've got a mental block on it, possibly. Maybe you guys can help me remove this mental block. This is where you can gang up on me, maybe. I hope not. But uh, the thing that occurred to me there is you were talking about this and then you said, but you can't measure it. So, you know, the idea of data is if you don't have data, you can't measure it. Uh, and it's as simple as that, I guess, isn't it? But but, you know, if you've got the right mindset and you look for the right things, you can pretty much measure anything. Now, I don't know whether Debbie would like to pick up on this a little bit. Maybe I'm speaking a little out of turn here, but that's my view. No, I agree, Pete, actually. Whether the measure is valid and whether it actually gives you all of the insight that you need is questionable. But you can usually measure some things and mm. then then you have to make a judgment around it. But that to me is where people really start to understand data. So, you know, Pete and I sometimes talk about looking at data and looking how it's presented on things like review sites. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something like, you know, TripAdvisor or something like that. And then looking at, well, where's that data come from? And what does that data mean? And you can measure people's opinions by asking them to give a score, okay? And so you get quantitative data that is a score that then will tell you that this particular hotel is rated, you know, three out of five. But then you have to say, okay, well, let's dig a bit further. How many ratings are there? If there's one and it's three out of five, then actually that measure, and we're back to what Pete said, so you've measured something, but how valid is it? You know, mm -hmm. and there was a great thread on Twitter the other day where people were saying, you know, I've just seen this review and the review was glowing. And then the score was two out of five. And they were saying, what is it you wanted? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so it, what the beauty of data is sometimes it's embedded in qualitative data mm. where actually you're then having to sort of draw out almost what are people saying between the lines here or sometimes what are they saying explicitly and how does that relate to that quantitative data and what does that tell us and allow us to do so I it's think fascinating this, jonathan uh, it's, uh, absolutely uh, fascinating but, but the trouble is so when we start to talk about data and, I, and i'll share prior to this pod i knew we we're talking about data oh no it's data and i'm i'm talking with two people that love data and just in that in that very short kind of, we've only been, I don't know how long this pod's been running for yet, but some of the words that we're using, they're not accessible to people. So da data, quantitative data was used there, Debbie, and then qualitative data. And I know we've had discussions about those terms, and, and but it might be that someone's hearing those terms and going, what is Debbie talking about? And, and, and so it's going to be, it, the, the outcomes and the context and the use of it and the, the help you to make decisions, those things, yes. But then we, we sometimes get lost in models and syntax and terminology that isn't always accessible mm. for someone who's trying to actually move things forward, I think. So I think maybe yeah. that's part of my book. That, that's a really interesting point, you know, about models, because actually, I mean, the whole premise behind a model is it's a simplification of reality. Mm. It's some representation that helps you get your head around something, helps you communicate ideas with people. Um, and one of the things 
that I, I was actually teaching a data modeling overview course to a group yesterday, actually. And, and what we ended up doing is looking at a final model, which was fairly simple. Uh, I mean, certainly not a complete page of A4 even. And that told us um, as much about an organization as probably 100 process models would. I mean, that's probably a bit of an overstatement. But the thing is, a, a process tells you oh, that little No, let's, let's stop there. So, so <laughs> Mr. Porter's value chain, you're saying that your data model told you more about the organization really? of the value chain than Harman's organizational model. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you five or 10 value streams that tell you more about the organization because they'll include the customer. Um, I, I'll, I'll put I'll put Cypox on. I'll give you five or ten Cypox, and and they'll tell me more about the organisation. Because one of the issues I think, Pete, is that the data models, some of the syntax makes the content inaccessible. So <laughs> I, I, I I've not yet met someone that can't read a Cypox, and they they haven't been able to understand where value a value chain's coming from. So kind of I like, give you my example though, guys. Sorry, Sorry, I've got to cut in here. Um, <laughs> I think I think data modeling notation is not complex. No. It just looks at it if you don't understand what the symbols mean, but there's very few symbols. It's and I remember a few years ago talking to somebody who was not an information systems person, okay? He was a marketing person. And we were talking about his particular company. And the reason we were talking about it was he wanted to understand what requirements he might communicate to an analyst for his new part of the system that they were developing. And I said to him, well, let's have a look at different things in your organization. And we just literally put a box with the word customer in it. Mm. And we put another box with the word order in it. Okay. And we put another box with the word product. And then we started linking the boxes up and he was just really straight away got it because it was his world and as Pete said we were modeling reality but it was his reality mm. and so when we're putting the lines now between the boxes and I'm saying well okay you know how many customers does an order come from and he looks at me as if I'm mad and goes one obviously <laughs> you know? so we put a one down and then we started building this model and then at one point I put a line and I said oh so that should be um one to ten or something there and he said, no, 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 you've got that wrong. You don't understand our business in enough detail. Let me show you what those numbers should be. My job was done. At that moment, oh. I thought, mm. this is not, you know, this is now somebody who really understands how the data needs mm. to look. And and you can capture so much on that one page. Mm. And and just, just to, to, to add to that, you know, another example from, uh, from Assist History, actually, uh, this goes back many, many years, I have to say, um, even to our, uh, our beloved founder, um, Mr. Steve Skidmore. Um, uh, Mr. Steve Skidmore and I were on a client site. It was a large Japanese trading company um, based not a million miles away from the Old Bailey in London. And uh, one of the senior Japanese managers um, who spoke reasonably good English, um, we started to explain to him what this, uh, this diagram did. And uh, he was absolutely sold to the point that he went away and drew his own version of it. 
Mm. You know, without any prompting, he basically produced a data model. And he was a business person. He was not, wasn't a business analyst. He wasn't a developer. He wasn't a database, but he was a business person. And he came back and we said, brilliant. We now know much more about your organization because that model covered mm. the key things that were important to that organization and the rules that govern some of those processes and things that you like so much. So I do, I do see the value of data. I just can't get excited to the extent that you guys can, because I want to see the holistic. I want to see the holistic picture, and I see it's one element, and and that I don't get it. You know, the the excitement about this one element that some people have. Obviously, I've I've not got that excitement for some reason, <laughs> um, and it, it's kind of the people aspect. What what is it that's going on in that in that? And you could I'm sure you should use data to analyze the people aspect or the organization aspect, but it's really difficult to to measure some of these things. And 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 you can really make sense of some of them when you look at them in the whole to make judgments. Maybe which is kind of what you then do with the data to help you make decisions. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I'll go if I ask you a question, Jonathan. On. If you wanted to book a restaurant or a holiday or a hotel, would you want to know what process they follow or would you want to know some data about what people think about it and the level of quality? So if, I, if I'm booking a hotel, I want the outcome of a hotel. That's a brilliant question, I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I want the outcome of a hotel room, but I need the process to work with the people of the organisation and their tech to all fit together. Because if they book me into a room where someone's already in there for example that something's gone wrong in the mm. process and in their data mm. um but it's booking to to make if to make that decision i don't think you go online and go can you tell me about your process you go <laughs> online to go okay what's the ratings look like maybe but i want the outcome debbie because i don't want to just focus on because if but i look at the rating let's say it's got a five out of five rating because that's what the data is telling me. And then I turn up and, and it's dirty or it's occupied. Absolutely. Or not available. And, and there'd be all sorts of issues there. But we can't just think about the data. We've got to think about the data and the process with everything else. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right because you don't. But for some things, <laughs> the data is absolutely invaluable. Mm. And and that's and it, it just helps decision making so much if you and in all aspects of life. It helps you make decisions. And if you understand, you know, some of the key concepts like, you know, understanding what an average means mm. and, and understanding a range of values and understanding something called an outlier, which is an exceptional value piece of data that maybe is one you don't need to take into account because it's so out there. Understanding those types of concepts help you make decisions in your personal life like booking a hotel or a restaurant or something, and it helps you make decisions in business. But you're absolutely right. Quite often, and it's like back to TripAdvisor, if I look at it and it says five-star restaurant, okay, or two-star, I do always go look at the comments, which is the qualitative data, to mm -hmm. see what it means. Because sometimes you'll get a sort of a two-star, and the, the comment will be, the train was late getting me there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you think, well, that's nothing to do with the actual restaurant or hotel. Mm. So you do have to have all of these different elements, really. Mm. But the data really helps you make decisions. Mm. 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 
Can we talk about um, dark arts a little bit, maybe? So <laughs> I can use data to get, to get insight on customers and possible future trends. Um, yeah. I think there's, a, you know, ethics in terms of our exploration of data, the probabilities of a customer doing something or not doing something because we've harvested data on maybe their payments or we've linked that to some other kind of records. Do you think we need to be careful with this? Because it, it's very powerful, mm. but, but do we think do the ethics, do we need to be concerned? What do you think? Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, there, there are many examples um, where people can see their data in the public domain that's been misconstrued, misinterpreted um, and presented in a certain way. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't have to say this, but uh, it's slightly embarrassing, but I was watching Married at First Sight Australia the other day and, uh, and, and there, there was a real personality clash between two, uh, two of the 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 the, uh, the brides, the contestants, the participants. I don't know what you call them. Actually, explain this show to us, Pete. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting. It is an interesting concept, but more than that, it makes incredibly good telly because people start to really hate each other and really get at each other, and you can really see uh, human nature in its rawest form. But putting that aside, <laughs> um, there were these two participants that uh, that clearly had a, a really bad personality crash and they had a, a big bust up at one point and then one of them went away to google some dirt that they could then share about mm. the other one and, mm. and they found uh, they found a, a photo that was slightly compromising shall we say mm -hmm. and they then sent that round to the other participants and you know their argument was well, what's wrong with that it's in the public domain you know she posted it on her whatever site, hmm. um, so it's out there. But actually, is it ethical for someone else to then pick that up and send that on to other people with malicious intent? So, you know, this is where the ethics come in, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. The mechanics of that is, well, it it's, it's happens every day. You know, people share things, don't they, amongst each other every day. But hmm. is it ethical to do that is another question, I think. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite a broad subject and, and it's a really, really important subject because mm -hmm. actually, you know, you, I mean, there are regulations around data to a certain extent and, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of movement at the moment to look at even extending that because mm -hmm. of abuse of data and, and it is it is dreadful. So you do have to really understand there is a lot of ethics around mm -hmm. it and, you know, unfortunately, because people will abuse data, it has to be extended. And, you know, one of the things that I think is, I really love working with data, but it has to be done in an ethical way. And there's another side to ethics in data as well, which is data is sometimes used to make an argument that is a false argument. Yes. And that's yeah. an, an ethical use of data as well. Yeah, yeah. The, I don't know, um, I presume you guys have heard it, the, the quote sticks in my head. There's always damn, damn lies and statistics. There's always a way to skew the data and to present it in a way, be not unethical, but you're just, just looking at it with a different light. And lots of people don't take a fully rounded view of the data, but there's a lot of power in terms of um, the data that we hand across to organizations, social media companies, 
um, the, the banks, for example, they hold a lot of data. Uh, retailers, if we've signed up to naughty cards, for example, can, can find out a lot about us. And it's kind of the, the power of data analytics and data science in terms of, well, there's lots of things that organizations could choose to do, but is it is it ethical for um, the organization to use that data, that data and to gain the insight to how it's kind of intrude into your personal universe? I mean, absolutely. Um, yeah but, but a lot of that is is regulated i mean there are you know legal restrictions on a lot of, and in all fairness a lot of organizations use the data in an informed way which is helpful to you as a customer but i think this sort of brings it back to and i'm going to say pop it model again here because <laughs> you know if data is at the heart of a lot of things and, and i see it at the heart of a lot of things it is within that puppet model, there's organizational compliance and, and legal regulations and yeah. policies, there's people and mm -hmm. you know what they feel about data and how they might give permission or not give permission for certain aspects. There's the processes that use it and there's the technology that enables that usage. Mm -hmm. So while it is at the heart, it does then also benefit from that holistic view. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, mm -hmm. right. Pete, any final thoughts on well, data I, that you wanted to share? I do sort of have a final thought because as um, as I was sort of listening to, to you guys talking, I suddenly thought, well, not necessarily from a, an ethical point of view, but I think, you know, the dangers of not properly understanding data. I think we probably sort of skimmed it a little bit, but, you know, you, you could argue that no data is, is not as bad as bad data, if you see what I mean, you mm. know having having misinformation having information that's out of date is that so much more dangerous yeah. than you know not having any data at all and then trying to run a business with no data although i'd, I'd put it to anyone that's very difficult these days to run a business without any data yes so this is where of course the ba comes in as someone that can try and help the business understand what data they need and where does it come from does it come from a trusted source mm -hmm. you know people often talk about the veracity of data you know how accurate is it how valid is it how much can you trust that data mm -hmm. Um, and this becomes a really key part of business analysis that I think a lot of business analysts think, oh, you know, now that someone else looks after that. I don't need to worry about that. But but I would say this is pretty key to business. Yep. Wow. On the very passionate thoughts there, the impassioned argument for data. <laughs> there be any final thoughts? I'm not sure I can add anything to what Pete said, actually, because <laughs> I I really genuinely do think that we all need to understand data because if we don't, we're just making assumptions and it's like driving without a rear view mirror, to be mm. honest, whether in business or in personal life. Mm. Mm. Yeah, a few crashes behind you, but you, you've not noticed because you haven't looked at the data. Yeah, you, so you, you're sort of you're sort of starting to convince me. I just can't get as excited as both of you. Um, but can I just give you one final example? I know, I know I've already had my last turn. But just, just one final example is from a very good book that I highly recommend that I know Debbie has read and probably Jonathan as well, actually. Black Box Thinking. Oh, it's um, a brilliant book. Brilliant. By Matthew really is. Uh, Syed. And um, he talks about uh, a, a, a programme um, to try and stop uh, young people from offending in prisons. And uh, apparently this 
uh, was seen as a huge success. Um, and, uh, and it was based quite a lot on, on anecdotal evidence and narratives and things like that. Um, and somebody at one point, I don't know all of the history to it, but at one point somebody actually said, well, is this actually having the desired effect? We've got people saying, yes, you know, they, they, they don't no longer want to offend, you know, pe people that have been sort of reformed characters that were, were probably a bit bad when they were, were juveniles. Mm. There's lots of anecdotal evidence, but is there actually a connection between this programme and lack of offenders? Um, and what actually happened when somebody said, right, let's measure this scientifically, mm. they actually found that the people that had gone on it were more likely to offend and end up back in prison than the people that hadn't gone on it. Mm. And that tells you all you need to know about the power of data. Yeah, good point, Pete. Good sales pitch, Pete. I like it. Right. Thank you for taking part, both of you, and for not ganging up on me too much for presenting slightly alternative view. Um, I also want to thank everyone for listening and watching. Um, if anyone's got any ideas for future episodes for the BA Brew, please do contact us. Our email address is babrew at assistkd.com. Thanks very much. Thank you. Bye, everyone. But yeah, producer Tom here. That brings us to the end of season four and what a journey it's been. We'd like to thank each and every single one of our guests that has joined us this season on The Brew. It was brilliant meeting each and every one of you. We'd also like to thank every single one of our listeners as without you, BA Brew wouldn't be possible. To watch The Brew grow to something listened to worldwide has been brilliant and it warms our hearts knowing that we can help people learn about business analysis from the borders of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil and the rest of our South American listeners through the Caribbean and North America, Africa, Asia, the continents of Australia and Europe. And VA Brew will be taking a short break but we will be back on August 26th and we look forward to everyone joining us again. Thank you.